We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. I'm Ben. And tonight we are looking at the second story from Battlestar Galactica, The Lost Planet of the Gods, which is a two-parter. Apollo and Serena announce their engagement to the delight of their family and friends. But not everyone is entirely thrilled. Starbuck sees it as the end of the way he and Apollo are right now. But there's no time for emotions. Apollo and Starbuck are heading out on long-range patrol. There'll be time for emotions, or at least drinking, when they return, as Starbuck has prepared a going-away party for Apollo. Jolly and Boomer make up a second long-range patrol. The patrols are to check the possible routes ahead to see if there are Cylons. On a small asteroid, Jolly and Boomer find such an outpost. Meanwhile, Starbuck and Apollo find a black void from which they barely escape. Jolly and Boomer return from the patrol and head to the party where, as part of their celebratory sharing, they spread a lethal disease to all the fighter pilots on the Galactica, except for Starbuck and Apollo, who are returning late from patrol. Meanwhile, Baltar has been given a base star and the assistance of Lucifer, an IL series Cylon, to pursue the Galactica. Given only two possible paths forward, see heading, three-dimensional space, subheading, not how it works, Adama opts to avoid the Cylon base and heads the fleet towards the void. He also assigns Apollo to train raw cadets, who coincidentally all happen to be hot young women, into being Viper pilots to replace the critically ill pilots. After much too little training, none of it in actual ships, the newly minted pilots must fly a mission to the Cylon base to collect a sample of the infection, killing the other pilots. They return victorious, without a single loss. Wow! Cylons must really suck. Plunging into the void, they detect something at the extreme edge of the sensor range behind them. Investigating, Starbuck is captured by the Cylons and taken before Baltar, who claims to be offering the Hand of Peace. Adama has taken the fleet into the void because of the ancient legends of the Colonials. Their legends tell that as the planet Cobol was dying, the twelve tribes fled the planet through a black void. Adama thinks they may be retracing the steps back to Cobol. Stricken by the death of Starbuck, Serena asks that their marriage be done immediately, since they never know how much time is left for any of them. As they are bonded, a star appears. The very star that the planet Cobol orbits, I think. Investigating the planet, they explore the great ruins of the city of Eden. In a temple, Adama finds two things. The ninth and final lord of Cobol's grave, and Baltar, who somehow got there first. Baltar tries to sell Adama that he has been asked to sue for peace with the humans on behalf of the Cylon's imperious leader. Baltar is to lead the Galactica back to the Cylon homeworld, but Baltar has a better idea. When they get there, they strike at the Cylon planet and destroy them once and for all. But Adama will never trust Baltar again and does not believe him. 
even when he released Starbuck as a show of good faith. Just as Estama starts to find out about the exodus of the 13th tribe that went to Earth, Lucifer decides Baltar's plan has failed, or that Baltar might be trying to double-cross the Cylon, and launches an attack on Kobal. The female Viper pilots take off from the ground to battle the Cylons, but it looks like they're outnumbered and outgunned until the male Viper pilots, finally cured, arrive from above and rout the Cylons. Baltar is trapped in the wreckage and left to die by Adama, but the writings on the 13th tribe are also destroyed. At least they all escaped with their lives. Oops, spoke too soon. Cylons shoot and kill Serena, leaving Apollo alone with his new son, Boxy. Lost Planet of the Gods, second episode, first regular episode of the series. What did you think of Lost Planet of the Gods? You know, it drives me crazy every time you ask me that question right up front. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask it at the end. Okay, then don't tell me what you thought of it. Uh, what stands out for you about this particular episode? Uh, it's so Mormon. It is It is rather. It's it is rather. very, very... It is... Uh, it's it's almost the most screamingly LDS story of the entire saga. There's one coming up much later. Uh, maybe not that much later, but there's one coming up later that's even worse. Um, but, I mean, oh, yeah. The, well, it, well, actually, and that um, the Egyptology was pretty intense. It was. This one is the, the most um, Egyptologistical. <laughs> of the bunch uh, and and they even sent a crew to egypt to get footage they just didn't send any of the actors so those are body doubles wandering around luxor and and the great pyramids but uh uh you know it, it is it's a it is an effective use of a destroyed kind of a destroyed planet in a way so then look at it and go well that's kind of cool they would have ruins like our ruins too Perhaps a little too, yeah, little but it was too a, on the nose, though. It it was way too much on the nose, especially there's there's a bit where Adama's reading hieroglyphs, and the those were um, the lamest hieroglyphs ever. Were they? Were they, they not? Were sick oh men. my word! <laughs> yeah, that could be new revised hieroglyphs. You know oh. how 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 at, like Chinese went from these sort of uh, more elaborate pictures of eyeballs and suns and things that that became straightened and squared and blocked off and more abstract. Maybe that's what's happened here. Mm. I don't know, but I did notice that it was funny looking hieroglyphics. Okay, <laughs> but it did strike me as ridiculously cheesy. Um, it's, yeah, those are some of the things that just really kind of. Um, that, 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 that all kind of stood out for me. and the death of Serena. Mm-hmm. That, I remember that, that was a, a really big deal when I, when I saw it the first time and then watching it again, uh, over the weekend, uh, Keith, who had ne- not seen this before, mm-hmm. he's watching, he's, he's, he's actually volunteered to watch this series right. with me. So I do not have to suffer alone. <laughs> and, Go ahead. And, and actually, uh, he when uh, when that happened, uh, he was he, he kind of like you know bolted up in his chair and like what? <laughs> uh, he had no idea that that uh, Jane Seymour had elected to leave the show. Yeah, I uh, and it, you know it was kind of as as sort of melodramatic death scenes go. It was sad. It, it was you know it was well. I mean, c- c- considering when this was made. The audience at the time, I thought it was effective. Yeah, I mean, they hauled her up and, you know, she got shot. They managed to get her on a shuttle. They flew her all the way back to Galactic. Apparently, they didn't bother to take her to see the doctor. They just took her somewhere to die. But oh, they apart- start- Well, that <laughs> bugs me because it's like, you know, th- this, this is right up there with $6 million man. The first pilot, mm. you know, right at the very end where he, you know, Steve Austin gets placed in this room with no, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it might as well be an, you know, just some closet. Mm-hmm. 
Same thing here. It feels like just some freaking closet that she's that they just stuck her in. It's um, it's the uh, Galactica Death Tomb. It's I a guess. carryover from their Egyptian uh, ancestry. It, it was it was it was disturbing. Uh, so yeah, I had um had a hard time with that. It but, was, uh, you know, it's sad because of the boy. I mean, and I'll admit, I don't like the boy. I'm not a really big fan of Boxy myself, but, uh, you know, it, it's it sucks. I mean, this kid, you know, th- I mean, put it in real world terms. I mean, this boy has had to rely on his mother mm-hmm. for as long as he can collectively remember because the father, you know, the, his biological father has just never been around from what I gather. I mean, so, yeah, now he's got Apollo and we know from the pilot that he did express on occasion that how much he would like to have Apollo as his father. Father, mm-hmm. but still his mother right right i mean he's already lost his dog for crying out loud oh i know <clears throat> that one nearly killed him how is losing his mom gonna gonna take him i you know so a couple things um that i'll, I'll throw in one i just want to point out we forgot to mention this last time that you know 1970s was also the height of eric van Dyneken's chariots of the oh gods. chariots of the gods yeah i was thinking about that i was, I was watching and that this. is you know what they're playing off here with the egyptians and the the, the lost civilizations i mean this is very very much in the zeitgeist at the time of the 1970s, uh, you know. It's, but I like it, and, you know. So and I'm not, I'm not complaining about it in any way, shape, or form. It's just one of those things that, that we failed to mention that that is, you know, very much a contributor to why this is the way it is. Um, and the second thing is we'd mentioned that Serena was supposed to die in the pilot originally, mm-hmm. and I was doing a little reading of it between this uh, and the last episode, and apparently there were scenes shot in the first one serena knew she was dying all along when she shot really this. when they hired her for this part the part involved a woman who had some sort of space cancer and she was dying and she was basically kind of looking for someone to take care of her son mm. and then you know when apollo came along and was the white knight and rescued her son and and whatnot that was she died and and apollo voluntarily took on boxy and i guess for a lot of money uh they convinced her to come back to do one more story and they removed all of the parts about the space cancer entirely because they wanted it to be different. And she wasn't really too, I guess, too happy about it because those were this what attracted her to the part. And so, but I think, huh. if I understand it correctly, it's also because you can't have Apollo be his dad and not really be his dad, right? They got married. Now he's legally his dad. Okay, now you can kill mom off. It's not just a guy picking up a kid and taking And that's care of interesting because I had read stories about how Richard Hatch was really disturbed that Jane Seymour had elected to leave the show. And she was never supposed to be there. I mean, he everything uh, I've read regarding his account of this suggests he had no idea. Huh, well, maybe that's why he looked like he was really tearing up. In fact, uh, the I'd also read that when everybody's gathered outside the Serena's death closet... <laughs> And you see everybody being very emotional that it was all very genuine, according to people on the set, because everybody was very unhappy that Jane Seymour elected to leave the show. Well... You know, I, I, she certainly is not what I didn't see any interviews with her. Um, but no, uh, I have not seen a single quote or comment, anything from Jane Seymour about her thoughts 
uh, about her time on uh, Galactica. So um, I, ha- I, you know, I, I got nothing to go on as far as that goes. All I have are you know, the anecdotes and uh, any quotes that are attributed to to Richard Hatch, hmm. and hmm. his are the most vocal. He well, was he's very been unhappy, very vocal about Battlestar Galactica. He's been very vocal about everything. Um, but yeah, he, but alive? yes, no, no, he died. Okay, I was gonna say I thought he was dead. Yeah, he 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 passed away very recently. Uh, and yeah, and you know, Richard Hatch is a terribly uh, opinionate. He was a very 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 opinionated uh, individual. Yeah, um, that, I'm but know. yeah, oh, terribly opinionated. But uh, and for someone who is that opinionated, I find it kind of hard to believe that or I, I that that he knew about Jane Seymour's uh, original death. As it was as it was proposed, and but now all of a sudden turns around and you know starts starts uh, putting out uh, some statements there, you know, saying how unhappy he was that she was leaving and that he had hoped that she would stay. Well, that that could be that they tried to get her to stay and she would only sign up for one more though. Maybe, but everything that he said it seems to suggest that he really I'll, thought I'll, that. I'll attribute. I'll attribute. It comes from the Analytical Guide to Television's Battlestar Galactica by John Kenneth Muir. Um, hmm. the book on that one. Uh, also, as I think I mentioned before, the original comic book was based on the original script before they tinkered with it. She was dying of something, some disease in that as well. So hmm. it, she was origi- absolutely positively originally intended to die in the first story. That was just like Cassiopeia was supposed to die and and there were and Baltar was supposed to die. I mean, that was, that was absolutely part of the original draft. What, what do you consider... You know, at what point do they tinker with it and you no longer consider it to be canon? And I think, obviously, what went on the air is canon. Hmm. But, but you know, at, at some point along the line, uh, they had all this stuff that was supposedly of interest to her in that part. And then they, they, they chopped it. They removed all of those bits that, that she did with her dying and her, you know, soap opera looks to camera. <laughs> we had time or what I don't know what the lines are but you know what I mean that that kind of well, I, that kind I, of I would I would say that by keeping her around you know through the pilot now we're into you know the, the three part pilot two part however long you know the, the pilot mm-hmm. story now that we are into the episodes themselves, having her die in the first of these episodes actually kind of stings a little bit more. I mean, if they really wanted to have an impact, yeah, you keep her around till at least half the season and then kill her. Mm-hmm. You know, then then you know people will be really upset. But killing her off in the pilot, I almost would have been. A, I don't. It, it would have felt maybe cliche. Maybe the intent here is to make you think, hey, these people could die. I mean, it does kind of. Which I don't have a problem with. It I does mean, kind I of kinda... up, up the. It does up up the je- up, 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 up 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 the jeopardy in the it story does. because you know you have that whatever is the status quo at the end of the pilot is going to be the status quo of the series or at least that's the way. Yeah, you know, but we were think. really big into reset buttons. So to have to to kill off a character. I mean, granted, she was always being given the guest star status, mm-hmm. so she was never um, considered a sacred character. She. I mean, uh, it was never off the table, clearly, but it, it's it's a pretty bold move, I think, because in seventies TV, this is not just this just isn't something that you do. I mean, if if they're here for one episode and then you kill them, that's one thing. But if they if you carry them over into the next, that's you know now you're establishing continuity. Yeah, some kind of a continuation, and you know, oh, now we're now okay. Now we're going to be continuing this character. We're going to be continuing the relationship. Now you kill them. You know, it 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 could almost feel like the carrying them over could feel like a red herring. 
On the other hand, they did have the wedding of death. I mean, that's that's pretty, you know, there's there's James and Tracy Bond, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you get them in, it's like, oh, you know, we should do our wedding. Okay, let's do that. Because we don't know how much time we might have together. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a little heavy-handed, but it, it was it was a bit it was a bit telegraphed um, in a number of different ways. I mean, ob- you know, in, in the most obvious of storytelling ways, yeah, by marrying them right away. That you know that that's usually a clear indicator. Um, but also the fact that they were really playing on um, again, really introduce uh, not introducing but uh, emphasizing the Mormon theology that when a couple gets married in in one of the mormon temples that that marriage can be it it could actually exist beyond death right and you know and and carry on into the next life where each person can count the other as their spouse in the next life you know that's called a ceiling and that's and in fact they even use the term yeah yeah and uh even they even say during the ceremony time and all eternity which is a a mormon phrase yeah and and my the the question i'd have to ask just to be snarky is how many additional marriages to dead people does apollo have to do at some point in the for the not going there okay uh I will say this, for television, for the sort of thing that I don't give two poots about, it was a very visually attractive wedding ceremony. Oh, it was it was well shot. Um, it was, you know, it was distinct. That is just, I mean, yes, candles are, are sort of cliche, but at the same time, the way it was staged, the way them up, way up mm-hmm. high, the candles mm-hmm. staggered down the window, which would have been much cooler if it had, uh, you know, a star field out there other than the black void, apart from the, you know, obvious dramatic... Uh, sequence with a star um, and the, the the kind of Vaseline on the lens and everything. I'm, I when I that scene pops up, I'm like, all right, the director, the DP was having fun with this. That, that's, no, it, that's it, nice. it is very well shot. It's nice. Yeah. In fact, I think that's probably one of the single best shots in the entire story. Well, everything else is just pedestrian. Yeah, I mean that it's it's not, standard. It's yeah, it's standard 1970s television staging and and shots. Mm-hmm. So nothing nothing impressive there except that one shot out of the blue, and you're kind of like, oh, that's well, they went to trouble on that. Um, oh heck, let's just get the the big one out of the way. Really sexist much? On this? Uh, oh, wow. How about he- heavily sexist? Painful. I, and not just from the standpoint of the plot is sexist because there were no female pilots, and now they're all female pilots. Yeah, I mean, that's but bad enough. That's bad enough, but the way they were sort of portrayed at the same time yeah. uh, really did not... I mean, towards the end, they kind of started to, to get it together, and they were becoming kind of competent yeah, but, but leading can... up to that they were just i mean okay i understand that they got thrust into they were this giggling schoolgirls is the role they were playing yeah yeah they, they basically were uh and i i admit it now granted i'm gonna i'm just gonna give a little bit cut a little bit of slack here and that is they were originally going to be trained to be shuttle pilots and at the very last second yes they were thrown into the role of Viper pilots, but they still had some semblance of training for that as well. Even even and, there, the- yeah, and and for them to just go completely um, for that for that kind of portrayal of mm. as you said, I mean, they're like they were portrayed as as giggling schoolgirls, and you know, we we look at some of the pilots, some of the the female pilots that we have today, 
And man, they're just as tough and just as steely as the men are. They're, are. They are complete and total professionals. And we didn't see that in this episode. So it, it kind of, you know, it, it's, again, this is 1970s. And we're still kind of having a little bit of a problem with um, uh, women's equal rights and stuff like that. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll cast back uh, to an episode of Kolchak um, that, uh, that Simon and I did. One of the plot points is that, so that's about 74, one of the characters is, I think, America's first female fighter pilot in the Air Force. And they're making a big sexist deal out of it. The fact that the people won't let her finish her sentences and they won't let her fly in combat and they won't do all this stuff. But, you know, but big deal. She can fly a combat plane. And, and you know, that's a few years before this. But I think it's relatively uh, accurate to say that there weren't many female fighter pilots in 1970-whatever. No, there the weren't. Show. There were none. But, you know, even, even when they're talking about making them shuttle pilots, there is an air of, you can't let women fly things i mean right. next they'll be wanting to drive cars you know i mean it really comes off as as condescendingly mm-hmm. uh uh you know i mean they, they haven't got little thoughts in their head and it wouldn't be nearly so bad no it would, it's bad it's bad there's no redeeming aspect to this at all until mm. until our two characters starbuck the womanizing shyster and apollo the deeply thoughtful caring and and emotionally well-developed man sit in that room talking about paint and uh and fabric <sighs> patterns that they discovered boy uh, did i have a problem with that wow yeah <laughs> Uh, I was just like, you know, that that bothered me. That, that that was really horrible writing. It played to some really bad stereotypes, um, bad attitudes. It, everything about it was just wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they thought they were being funny, hey, guess what? They were. It wasn't. No, they weren't. No. And and I and I wonder if it played funny in 1970 whatever it is, is 77, 78. Well, if it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it did, because again, that is the, the culture. Turnabout. Yeah, it's turnabout, you know. Um, women are talking about flying and shooting and blessing the up, but we're talking about paint. And <clears throat> they didn't get their nails in it, I'm surprised, but uh, I suspect if it had gone on much longer, they would have. Um, I also would, uh, I would have just make the comment of Starbucks line. Now, remember, the controls of the Viper are sensitive as a school girls whoa ah, yeah Ooh. oh even for television yeah now in that case i mean i know where he was going well yeah that's the whole point and i think they were de- now that was a deliberate a deliberate move to show what kind of a, a sexist pig you know and womanizer that starbuck really is or how male dominated piloting is well that too but i think even if uh even if it weren't dom- um you know well you know man that's a that's a great point because if it weren't so male-dominated, would Starbuck have developed a different attitude as he kind of um, developed as a pilot? Mm-hmm. Great question. I think so. I mean, you know, clearly the idea of having women fly Vipers is just <laughs> ludicrous. I mean, you can just see it on their faces. that They're just like, you got to be kidding me, right? Mm. And, and you just like, wow. Okay. Um, and, and, and the sad part is... The truly sad part is, is that you can be willing to bet that that is what passed for being affirmative 
portrayal of women. See, you know, they yes. can do it. We're yeah. we're a very progressive show. We showed that they can do it. And you know, it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they can. Unfortunately, our attitudes still suck. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I agree. I agree completely. That's... That, that somebody's idea of giving themselves a pat on the back and saying, see how evolved I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not... And also, you know, taking the pot, it's not the sexist angle of it, but they never flew a Viper. Best they ever did was like one or two sessions in the simulator, and they launched them on a mission, to which they all survived. Amazing. Well, downright unbelievable. It must be, you know, the Lords of Cobol looking after. Right, but and, I mean, and and I'm not saying that because they were, well, see, see now, now we kind of, we, we, you and I can get ourselves into our own little trap here. Um, if we're, if, if we're to take uh, literally the women's behavior as that is how they really are, which I don't believe, obviously, but if that's how they really are, then, yeah, they should have all been killed because they had absolutely no idea what the heck they were doing, at least not on the first flight. Yeah. Based you know, on their portrayal. Right. I'm, right. You know, so let me qualify that. I'm saying based on their portrayal. I'm not, I'm not trying to spell out a right or wrong kind of thing. But if you're going to portray them in this particular manner, the fact that they all came back is, um, it, it truly is a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Cylons are just that bad. Well, hey, you can't see a thing in this stupid helmet. And you know something? I'm going to, I'm going to, what, what is the line um, at the beginning of the first movie? The day the Cylons can't, we can't outfly the Cylons 10 to 1 or something like that? Oh, yeah. I don't remember what the number is, but it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's something like 10 to 1. And then, yeah, they but a thousand to 1, that's different. That we truly are that much better than the Cylons. And I and I think they don't mean that as a gross exaggeration. I think no, they actually mean it. I think they I think they really believe it because How the uh, heck have they been fighting this war for a thousand yarns? Well, if because they're they that can, much they, better. They, because they can manufacture Cylons at the drop of a hat. They're factory manufactured. Well, well, we don't actually know that. I mean, well, no, yeah, but I'm sure they're factory manufactured. I mean, I just I don't know that they have. But they're machines. That's the that. whole. They're machines. That's the whole point. So it's easy just to keep cranking out, you know, silent pilots and silent centurions. Boom, 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 just like that. So it just it feels to me like they've set them up that the Cylons truly are not an actual. Um, well, they're all computerized to us. They're not. They're not a. You know, they're just not good enough to be a threat. And no. I and I, actually, won. I would I would we say that if that it one. if it was a one on one fight, I would actually I would agree with Apollo's assertion on that, because uh, of uh, human ingenuity and human creativity. I mean, even Lucifer at one point starts to comment on the illogic of some of Adama's decisions and some of the human decisions that are being made. He doesn't get it, and and Lucifer well. is a slightly evol- more evolved model i mean he's just like one step short of of imperious leader okay let's let's talk about let's talk about lucifer then for a second jonathan harrison uh harris harris not harrison right <clears throat> not george harrison either it's jonathan harris uh, I, I i could only wish it were george harrison it would have been more enjoyable um 
he is let's face it he has emotions you can see them he has envy he has um you know when he's talking about also do you wonder how wonderfully devious he is we can learn so much from them the but yeah, question he's just of whether like, or not these isn't... are pure machines or whether these are life forms comes back again. They seem to have more than just programming going on there. Well, there is something more that is going on, but everything that we seem to understand does keep coming back to. It's just, it's just, it's. I mean, it is a form of AI. I There's no question about why it. Why he got picked over me as the imperious leader? There's another one. I mean, it, it's yeah. That's that's covet. Yeah, um, no question. You know. Uh, he but they, but they can contempt I get, of the the lower Cylons, right? But I kind of get the feeling they can only express so much that it's all maybe it's just mimicking or a response to something they observe, and you know that that little aspect of the programming then comes out. I mean, yeah, it's it's a more evolved programming, but I would say, but clearly, like when they're in battle, you're not going to send one of them out. You're not going to send out a Lucifer or an Imperious leader out into a Cylon ship. No, those I mean, those models they don't make them very much. You have to ask the question, if they can make great models like the Imperious Leader and they can make pretty good models like Lucifer and they've got the Centurions and it's just programming, why can't they program them as good? Too, many, they send too good, many chiefs. Good. Fi- well, in that case, but if then, then they are not enslaved to their hierarchical order like, uh, like we see you know, later um, Cybermen in Doctor Who where they have one cyber controller and they transfer that between and everyone else. Right follows it underneath if if that's truly it and i think you know i think you're not wrong because lucifer clearly covets the position of the imperious leader and thinks he deserves that job um therefore and he seems to be betraying baltar so i think they understand the concept of betrayal you know what would it take for lucifer to try to overthrow the imperious leader but at the same time if you wanted your foot soldiers to to get out there and defeat the uh the humans a thousand yarns earlier maybe you shouldn't send stupos well i think okay so now you ha- now we have to kind of really take a look at the entire cylon organization now the, obviously the uh, the original cylons they're all gone yeah they're all dead so somebody is doing this man- mass manufacturing of them or somebody is in charge of the manufacturing of these lower model of cylons and their programming and whoever that individual or individuals or computer is are whatever that is be you know, whoever's responsible for that they're doing it purely observing the human hierarchy and try and probably with this idea that we don't want to be like them because we believe that we're better. I mean, and this goes back to Adama's assertion that the Cylons hate humans. Mm-hmm. You know, they hate freedom. They hate this. They hate that. All of these, all these attributes that, um, or all these characteristics that Adama attributes to them. Uh, at some point, somebody is instilling into the Cylon collective their idea of what the social structure or military structure has to be, and that's where it is falling apart. So the Cylons pass the Turing test. Hmm. I, I think we can say they safely do. Oh, I agree. I believe they do pass it. Then, but you know, that's but based where we pass the... the point where what's the difference between artificial intelligence and intelligence? And I don't know. But I, yeah, you know. but at the same time, I think that the the Cylon pilots, the you know whatever they're they're not all Centurions because I think the Centurions are supposed to be gold, if I remember right. Although these are these are, so far they're all silver. Um, but those. The, the Cylon pilots, fighter pilots, whatever, 
um, their programming is very limited. Shoot and kill is essentially it. Mm. I mean, that's really what they're all about. It, it's all about shooting and killing. So well, it'd be there, interesting to see if we see any uh, humanoid characteristics pop up in um, Centurion models then oh. as we go. Um, yeah, let's see. Another question, Baltar. All right. Um, Lucifer couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. Honestly, I couldn't tell. I'm, I'm saying that. So which was it? Which side was Baltar playing? Wow. I couldn't tell. And I think that's a brilliant piece of acting on John Colicos's part. Well, I love John Colicos. I mean, he's so melodramatic over the top with his villainy. He always has been. But he's one of those few actors who can get away with that kind of thing. And, you know, he, he can sell it. And I thought he did a really good job here because at some point I'm thinking, I, I don't know. Is in I mean, he did kind of parrot what the new imperious leader told him, you know, offer an olive branch. Mm-hmm. But we know full well that, yeah, the silence kind of turned on him too, but that's because his he, he was rather short-sighted. I mean... You know, if the Cylons at the time, if their mission was to kill every single human out there, you know, why does why does Baltar think he's going to be any exception? Why does he still think he's going to be any exception? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Once they get rid of them, he has no value again. So, I mean, there's reason to believe that he would think that the humans could go, um, you know, a strike against the Cylons might be advantageous to his position. I mean, we know he's lying about setting the colonies up. So he's, he's definitely speaking with a forked tongue, but... Uh, oh, yeah, he's a snake in the grass. There's no question about it. But that doesn't mean that everything that he was telling Adama was a bold-faced lie. Right, right. There could and, have been some truth to that. And it's clear that Lucifer had thought of that, because he says as much. You know, he says his plan to lead him, lead the Galactica back to our homeworld. But who is leading whom? Who? Yeah, and... You know, you're like, ah, see, Lucifer has Lucifer is cunning enough to see that too. Yeah. And so, you know, they're not just simple, stupid machine. They've they they understand guile and deceit. Um, to some degree. I they they understand it when they see it, but I you know, going back to the Cylons, yeah. They understand it when, you know, you know, the Imperious leader would understand it, Lucifer would understand it when they see it, but I don't believe they were actually they would actually be capable of acting it out themselves. Oh, passing piece of trivia. The, we mentioned the not getting a good look at the Imperious Leader. That's intentional. Apparently, they spent a boatload of money on it, the costume. Mm-hmm. Very expensive. And uh, very expensive. And then when Glenn Larson saw it, he thought it looked stupid. And so they hit it. Well, I saw a photo. Um, yeah, I've seen pictures. Of I, I, little, I've seen photos. I mean, I've seen some pictures of, I, well, You wouldn't a think it's a $32,000 costume. No, well, there's a really, really bad one on Wikipedia that just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, but I saw a better one in Starlog, and I thought, is that it? Mm-hmm. Eh. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, with regards to the peace thing, did you notice that they replayed the scene with Baltar getting his new lease on life? Yeah. Except that they changed it. A little bit. Oh, they um, dropped something uh, very important. Well, when he says, to the Empire. The Imperious Leader does not say no. No. Yeah, so I noticed peace. that. Yeah, they dropped that out. You know, no, th- no, as a peace offering. Which, now, we're, which I thought was interesting. So why do that? <laughs> yeah, why do that? And then have Baltar come out, you know, and spiel, and then parrot what the Imperious Leader said at the end of the pilot episode. I found that interesting myself. I, I'm, 
I wasn't quite sure what are they trying to tell or or how are they trying to trick the, the viewer. Right. So, you know, I mean, if we saw it, we know that the Imperious leader did, in fact, say it. But Baltar doesn't, under, if you're just paying attention to this episode, it doesn't appear that. It appears that Baltar, this is Baltar's plan all along. This is his clever idea to do. And Lucifer knows nothing about the Imperious leader's olive branch because Baltar tells him about it as if Lucifer didn't know it. Now, what I'm thinking is maybe they cut the line because Lucifer was walking into the room at the time and they wouldn't have been able to set up that conversation between Baltar and Lucifer uh, about Lucifer having doubts that this is actually the Imperious Leader's plan, basically. But I don't know. Or was it supposed to keep us off guard? But it seemed a very odd re-edit at the it time. It was a rather odd re-edit, but... Mm, <sighs> Uh, it, it, and had that been just a part of a recap, that would have been one thing. But it wasn't. Mm-mm. It was clearly shifted uh, and and replayed as part of the current narrative. Yep. And then, but to re-edit it, it's it's almost like, oh, are you now going to retcon this little scene that happened here? Mm. Yeah, because that's the first time I've really. That was the first time I have seen that since it first aired. Mm. So I didn't know what to think. I, w- I was very puzzled by it. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, we don't care about the party. Oh. Ugh. Colonel Ty's a bit of a human. I appreciated that. Yeah. That, that's the one thing I do, uh, one of the things I do like about some of the characters. They may be corny lines, but at the same time, some of the secondary characters get good lines. So Colonel mm-hmm. Ty's line about, you know, you know what's worse than stealing victuals for a party? Getting caught stealing victuals. Yeah. And everybody's like, the Colonel is cool. Yeah. Right? The Colonel is cool. Or the bit about, where to fly this mission, sir? You know, you guys can barely stand. Flying a Viper it's, is done from the done seated, seated position, position sir. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, 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 these are little touches to Galactic that I always kind of that I always kind of like. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, the the void. Let's let's just ask about the void. Did not Adama explain that when the thirteen or the twelve tribes left? Thank you. And they went through the I void. I know where you're going. You, yeah, you know where I'm going? It and was the star that the led st- them out. The star that led them out, but it's the star that leads them... It's the star that's leading them uh, the out again direction. from the other side. Yeah, okay, good. I thought that wasn't... That's just no, it, no, no, it wasn't. I caught it too. You know, if it's, it's one thing if... Okay, if they were just to acknowledge it as being the star that that Cobol orbits, that's one thing. But they kept alluding to the fact that oh, that this this was the same star. No, it's not because it be. that same star was behind them <laughs> as as the original, you know, uh, as the original um, exodus of Cobol was taking place. That star was behind all of them. It right. was a different star that led them out. Yep. And you guys have already passed it. That star is behind you, Galactica. So, yeah, that was very sloppy. That was very sloppy. <laughs> and, uh, and the other thing that gets me is, of course, you know, we, we they have their measurements, they have their units, but oh, yeah. for crying out loud, <sighs> parsecs. Mm. Look for a planet orbiting one to three parsecs, parsecs. from that Wow. Star, which three parsecs, about ten light years. That's a huge orbit. That's a, that's not even uh, a realistically believable 
in any assuming no. that parsec means the same thing that it does here and and honestly it cannot possibly mean the same thing because of all the measurements you know okay light year right you want you want to go to the metric system right a meter is a wavelength of light under certain conditions and that's why it's a universal constant or at least we think it's a universal constant and you know if somebody else had developed a system they might use a wavelength of light visible light as their measuring system and that's all fine and dandy and if you measure a light year well that's the distance that light can travel in oh, a in year, year but of course that would depend on how long your year is mm -hmm. if you were raised on mars a year is much your year is a little longer 400 yeah. some days long and so a light year would be a different it's a, distance. I know. It is a very subjective form of measurement. Do you know what a parsec is? It's like three point something light years. Yeah, but do you know how they figured out what a, how they came up with that measurement? No, actually, I don't. It's a parallax second. And so, and, and I'm not even going to try to explain what the heck that means, but there's a one degree of an arc second from an astronomical unit distance. So... But there's an easy way to fig there's an easy way to s approximate it for yourself. An AU, an astronomical unit, astronomical is unit. The average distance of Earth to the Sun. Right. Ninety-eight, ninety-eight point million something million miles, ninety-eight point six million miles, something like that. And if you were to take that distance, and then you were to take a right angle off the Sun, and then you were to take an angle that's a one degree. I ah, crying out loud, like a one degree arc second. Parallax out where the two come together, that's an astronomical, that's a parsec. Wow. It, it's, it's, a, it's a really specific to our solar system, our planet, has nothing to do with the speed of light or anything. I mean, it's a, it, astronomers like it, but it's really kind of an arbitrary uh, distance. And so, one, two, three, parsecs out, it's just like, let's just pull a number out of it. How fast can we do the Kessel run? Never mind. It's just, you know. <laughs> Well, oh, God. Now that you brought up Star Wars, yeah, that's right up there with... Okay, taking taking a bit of a sidecar here. Uh, I remember <laughs> when I was uh, watching uh, Star Wars during its initial run, uh, I was at the you know, local theater with my best friend, and uh, we're on the fourth moon of Yavin, and they said, you know, the target is um, you know three meters wide. And I turned to my friend and said, meter? Mm -hmm. Meter? That is an Earth measurement. Yeah, and some guy, some guys who were just sitting, you know, like you know, some jocks who were sitting, you know, just right in front of me. Went, oh God, we got a couple of brains back there. <laughs> I never felt so happy in my life. But yeah, I get really incensed whenever they start using such an arbitrary uh, measurement like that. So you know, I, I applaud the fact that with Galactica, at least they were using in the beginning, they were using some kind of measurements that. You know, obviously, it's their measurement of time, their measurement of this and that. But yeah, why not perpetuate that? Wait, why? Why do they keep screwing up every once in a while? Like, well, suddenly it's years instead of saying yarns. And yeah, right. If they could keep that consistent, I could imagine sometimes when the actors saying yarns, they say years, and nobody notices it, and it makes it's it through. Very, I can yeah, see that. I could see that. I can totally see that one. But you know, it, if it's in the script and it says it's centons or parsec, par, you see, it's probably a parsecton or something, and they just like hectares at one yeah. point. They use hectares. It's like a hectare is a measurement of area, as I recall. Um, yeah, know, but it, you change the word just enough to make it realize that, okay, this is their measurement. This is their version of something that we can understand, but it's still uniquely theirs. 
Yeah, I, 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 I have no problem with that. I would have loved it if they had continued that kind of thing going, but no. You know, so yeah, you you come into this kind of thing where it it's it's jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so the planet Cobol. Um, I guess I should, for the sake of clarity, say that uh, Adama wasn't sure that that was the city of Eden, but uh, after he discovered that that was the resting place of the ninth lord of Cobol, I think we pretty much confirmed that that probably was. Yeah, the city because of Eden, the ninth but... lord of Cobol was from Eden. He says that I believe he says that earlier on when they're. Uh, when Serena asks what's you know what the name of the city is, well, he said then, Eden was the largest. He said Eden was the largest city to start with, and then this is the resting place of the final Lord of Cobol. It's probably you know those two could probably go together too. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. from the the standpoint, it's our most important city. This is where we would bury our our course. I would say, and they don't ever really firmly confirm it, but it, it's good enough. We'll call it that because they didn't name any of the other cities. Um, who who carved the hieroglyphs explaining where everybody left to go to? The grave robber? Were there people who were left behind? I'm I'm I would be willing to bet that there might have, well maybe Did it was the last ship to go. The planet? Well, yeah. probably I I let's let's assume that everybody did escape the planet, but they all left in phases. There was one last group to go out. They were the ones who did the last bit of carvings and then they, you know, buggered off. Did the ninth lord of Cobol just happen to die at the same time that they were doing the Exodus? Cuz why else would the hieroglyphics be in his tomb if if it weren't for something to do with him? Good question. <laughs> how did Baltar get there first? That's the one that bothers me. I don't know how he got there so quickly. Did he sneak around them? Oh, wait, no, there's no around in Galactica space. There is only backwards, left, forward, we and right We do not forward. have three dimensions. We do not have three dimensions in this show. No, everything operates. In fact, I e- hey, they have astrogators. Well, there is a there is a galactic plane, and, and right, and I even suggested that. Right. I see this an astrogator, and you know, so it it all it all measures up to the galactic plane. So, I mean, if you want to get back to the galactic plane, I can understand. You know, it obviously there's better ways to do it than what they've got, but you know, there is there is value to it. Um, uh, you know, even if you were working here in the uh, in the solar system, we have a we have a ecliptic plane, and you probably wouldn't go out of it. You know, for for a variety variety of reasons that there's not much point in going out of it if you're going from one planet to the next they're all in the same plane you would stay with it so I, eh. but i'm not not making not making excuses for them it just it's like it's their thinking it's like well we can't go patrol one and patrol two went ahead of us well first off mm-hmm. you know is that is that literally 45 degrees left and 45 degrees right and how far did they go because you know at one point ty says maybe we could skirt around the edge of the void yeah. Okay, why not? Why couldn't you do that? No one gives that answer except that Dama wants to go in. Well, again, he's got he has he's motivation to go in. Yes. He's got faith. And I don't think Apollo does. I was noticing that in this story. Um I've always I've always kind of assumed that everybody was pretty religious in Galactica, but there's a few things that Apollo says in this story that make me think Maybe he thinks dad's a little too deep in it. You know, at one point he's saying, you know, I don't think the gods brought us here. I don't, you know, he he basically says he doesn't believe in the eternity thing at one point until the end when Serena's dying. And he says, well, you've convinced me. But Mm -hmm. is that the words of on her deathbed or is that to comfort her or is that, you know, he he got religion? I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. but But I definitely think that Adama is faithful and Apollo may be a little more pragmatic. Well, there 
there are, it's not just, I mean, I think even Ty at some point is a little incredulous too. Yes. Uh, so it's, it, it might be everybody except for uh, Adama, you know, and then Adama kind of sets himself up, you know, he, you know, he shows, you know, the seal that was passed down from the Lords of Cobol, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this, this is, this, this is the symbol of my power. Ugh, wow. That was. <laughs> so here, here, here's what we've got then. We've got a show that so far has portrayed uh, basically everyone that's a civilian, for the most part, as an idiot. And only the military is trustworthy. And, and up at the highest echelons, it's strictly the religious military. They're the heroes on this line. So uh, now that that's kind of crossed my mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be applying that standard to all the interactions we see from now on with the rest of the fleet. Because I have a feeling that this show may be a little more, I mean, yes, obviously it's set in the military, but I, I, it may be more fascist than I had previously thought. Um, it might be. You know, because they have not the civilian government has not gotten a, a good um review so far no in <laughs> fact i and uh, and i think i brought this up last time um i know that there is an episode somewhere down the road where the members of the 12 are kind of you know it's, it's almost like well but it, it's all of them there it's like they're trying to engineer a coup to oust uh, adama because he the, is he's the only and he's martial the, law well, is what they're trying to do. May, I, don't, I can't remember, maybe that is it. But I know that uh, one of the reasons is because he is the only member of the 12 that is also military. And I think we saw that with the original 12 um, that was on the Atlantia. Because I kind of get the feeling that only Adama was the commander of a ba- uh, of a battle star. And the rest of them were just like, you know, almost like ambassadors of, of base stars. Hmm. Um. Let's see. So they didn't get any information about Finding Earth. No. I mean, that's what I took from it. Adama got absolutely nothing about Finding Earth. Except that there's there was some writing on it, but that's about it. No direction whatsoever. If only, if only they had had iPhones. They could have taken a photo of they it. They could have taken a photo of this. Is, that, is it not amazing how different looking back on something like that is even even a science fiction show in the future supposed to be in the future in high tech advances you're like how could they not all have cameras well <laughs> on i mean them? E- even you know it, like in something like in star trek I mean, Spock would have, you know, whipped out the tricorder and made a recording of it and then studied it later. Yep. And when we saw that in, in um, oh, This Side of Paradise? Uh, yeah, among others. The obelisk. Uh, I think it's this side That's the paradise. paradise Syndrome. Paradise Syndrome, yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, I knew I had Paradise in there. In this so, yeah, that would have been interesting. But yeah, it would have been. a picture of it, then that wouldn't have mattered that the Cylons had blown it up. No kidding. Um, but no one writing it at that time would have thought of it. You know, it just, you just would not think of them having a camera on them. I mean, wow. And this show, you know, follows, I mean, Star Trek predates it and, and they did it in, in that episode, you know, uh, more than once. Battlestar Galactica is science, is, is a science fiction show for Midwestern audiences. That's how Glenn Larson put it. He, and this yeah. show was made for the Midwesterns, which, you know, is, is also a bit condescending. Um, so is is Battlestar Galactica supposed to be the real wagon train to the stars? Then absolutely, that's oh, exactly brother. right. They have no science fiction writers at all on the show. None. Um, wasn't meant to be. It, it was it was meant to be adventure in a familiar setting. It is truly wagon train to the stars. It's kind of it's kind of the two opposite ends. Uh, Gene Roddenberry basically lied. That's that's a that's a slightly false statement. But Gene Roddenberry 
you know, pitched Star Trek supposedly to the networks as wagon train to the stars. It was the only way and, to get the show sold. And we, we look at it, you know, look back at it as like, ha, 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 why clever put one over him. But you have to remember that Wagon Train was actually a fairly serious drama show. Right. Where they were, you know, going from one place to the next week after week and focusing on different people. So it was actually a drama show. So, you know, that wasn't wasn't just, you know, we're making F Troop for the, in space. There. It was meant to be a serious portrayal of, of something, but then he could tell crazy stories. Here you've got the story, which is literally just Wagon Train to the Stars, with Mormon theology. And I'm assuming that the dark black void is everything between um, Missouri and Utah, <laughs> right? Um, From Eden, I, Missouri I, I, to I really cannot, Salt Lake City. Ooh, oh, wow, I'm impressed that you actually had that. Um, I, 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 I honestly don't know if that is supposed to be a metaphor, um, cause the, ugh. We missed the metaphor of the Red Sea in the Red Nova field last time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a reach. I don't know about that one. Uh, but as far as the, that goes, um. Because they they uh, they're kind of making they're, they're, there is a there is a really weird stretch that's taking place here. Uh, again, not all of the storylines and and story ideas will neatly line up with specific points of Mormon doctrine. Oh. I mean, well, there's yeah, there's they a thrown the Egyptology in there, so I mean, yeah, but there there's a lot of crossing that takes place here, so. Uh, the Black Void. No, I don't. To the to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that's a metaphor for anything. It's just it's just a plot point, a plot convenience. Hmm. Yeah, and it may very well be. I mean, obviously, there was a great wilderness that they crossed that they had to yeah. traverse, and so how do you portray a wilderness? In space, which is I mean, it just could a wilderness. Be, I mean, it, you know, it, it could be uh, that that wilderness when the Mormons had to you know scamper out of Nauvoo, Illinois, um, because that's you know their 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 uh, president Joseph Smith was um, martyred there. They were all being chased out, and that's when they thought, okay, we need to get the you know we need to get the heck out of Dodge and started heading west. So it may be that wilderness is the equivalent but the destination doesn't line up either because they land because they they ended up in a new place and in galactica they went back to the origin so it it does again not everything lines up very neatly why is it a dead planet is it because the star is pulsing uh i think yeah it's it's the it's the sun okay i wasn't sure about that because they never really kind of mentioned it they just talked about the fact that the star was pulsing once in a while all right well i i only have one I only have one other thing that I want to bring up. And again, it comes back to, it still comes back to my, I'm really having trouble with what the heck the Cylons do in their spare time. Um, <laughs> but so if you pictured the Cylon Centurions walking Baltar in, the Imperious leader is turned around backwards and uh-huh. the chair spins around. Speak, right? Right. The, the thing. Now, given that that's a machine, you would be forgiven for thinking that maybe he's in standby mode, just sitting there. Or maybe waiting. his brain is doing some stuff for waiting for stuff to come in. And then that's when he turns around, does his little speak thing. And then when he's done, he turns back around and shuts down until he needs to do some imperious leading. 
what the heck is Baltar doing in that? Gym yeah, I when know. He's turned I around was, the other way. I was wondering about that too. It's like, okay, are you are you are you contemplating your navel? I have no idea what you're doing, Baltar. There's I no would screens love over there. There's, there's no nothing. instrumentation. It's he's looking at a wall. <laughs> yeah, like... maybe there's some screen that's out of camera view. <laughs> and then and then you know when Lucifer tries it later on and he spins around the cent and the centurion looks confused. The centurion is taken aback for a second, and, and, and Lucifer feels the need to explain himself to the centurion, which tells me the centurions, too, are also, you know, self-aware of the Well, they the are major. to a degree. They are to you a know. degree, and but every once in a while, and, and there are times where they completely behave out of character. Uh, I know that there is uh, an episode coming up down the pike where they are going to say one of them says something to Baltar that is entirely uncharacteristic of everything that we will have heard from uh, a, a normally functioning, normal functioning Cylon up to that point. Hmm. Yeah, so so just... there's yeah, there is there is some serious inconsistency with the way the Cylons are being written. Which, it doesn't bother me. I think they've made the Cylons more interesting by not making them dead-up emotionless robots. But at the same time, it raises fascinating questions in my science fiction-minded. Well, uh, it would have been nice if they had maintained some kind of... Again, if there was some kind of continuity to it, that would have been fine, you know. I don't think there was really much of a uh, a really detailed writer's Bible uh, when they were uh, pitching this show. Oh, no. No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, remember, they pitched the show. It was just uh, a, basically a seven-hour miniseries mm. originally. So we've just watched the second two of the miniseries, and I'm not sure I've even been able to identify which the final two were. They may have never even happened. I don't know. But, um, yeah. Anyway, so have you got anything else, uh, Ben? Uh, no. Now, to uh, answer your question that you threw out at the top of the show. Okay, here's the weird thing about this uh, about uh, this two-parter. Um, I liked it, and I think I liked it for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Namely, nostalgia. Okay. Seriously. I, I really think that's it. I think I liked it purely for reasons of nostalgia. But, okay. But as I watched it, I kept thinking, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's bad. I mean, I kept seeing a lot of things that were just very wrong with it, and yet I kind of liked it. Is it partially because? Uh, it is for me. Watching this, there is one thing about it with, with, you know, maybe one exception. I like the characters. Yeah. You know, this, this, is, this is a group of people that, like, all right, I kind of... I kind of am a little, I wouldn't say vested, because I know they're not going to make it, but <laughs> they're all going to die uh, before they reach Earth. But, um, you know, um, it's just, it, there is a, fam- a family-like feel to it. it it's, oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's almost. It, it's, you know, it's a sickening word. but Well, it, no, you know. but you, I, think, I think you make a good point. And, there's, and, and in its nostalgia, there's something that's oddly refreshing. I mean, when you look at television that's, you know, that's being made today and everything is all about dysfunctionality, uh, about people not getting along, you know, people that are supposed to be on the same side. You know, I mean, you look to the, the reboot of Galactica, which I loathed. I mm. mean, I, oh, my God, did I hate that show. And everybody fought with each other. Everybody had agendas you know, and okay, so maybe that really is based in real life. Maybe, maybe that's the way we really are. But you know what? 
I don't need to see that when I'm watching television. I have to deal enough, you know, with enough negativity and enough rubbish throughout throughout my regular life that when I'm turning to television, I want something. I, I want some escapism, not just in terms of the story you're telling me, but the people you're showing me. And if that includes giving me a bunch of people that really genuinely get along with each other, I mean, to the point where, okay, yeah, maybe it is unbelievable. Maybe it is kind of sickingly sweet but you know what it's a nice breath of fresh air from the 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 garbage that you see out uh on the streets every day or that you see on the news every day about what people are doing to each other it's kind of nice to see you know this this fiction of people getting along you know it goes back to like why you and i love star trek so much and that is it's it's presenting a higher ideal uh, are we being deluded? I'd like to think that we're not, but you know, if I if I am being deluded, you know, at least it's a healthy one. If I'm being dis, if if I'm kind of being bombarded with this uh, the the saccharine coated kind of uh, situation where people are all just you know really nice people all really getting along together. I mean, yeah, there's a little friction here, a little bit of friction there, but you know, they're they're all there supporting each other. You know. It, 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 Am, am I kind of, um, you know, deceiving myself a little bit there? Ah, perhaps. Perhaps I am. But you know what? At least it's a nice one. Well, on that note, the next episode of Battlestar Galactica... Oh, God help it, us. It's, <laughs> it's the Lost Warrior. And I, I think I can safely say that, because um, I think we mentioned it in the last one, that there was a scramble to to come up with these episodes uh, to go uh, from the from the, the miniseries motif to the series motif, and there are a few episodes that may show signs of being a little bit like, um, what can we repurpose to get on? And I think mm-hmm. that may be next. I think next week may be emblematic of that um, yeah. situation. Yeah. That's, is that the one that uh, Keith watched before? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Excellent. So he's, he's that, made That's it. the one he knows. That's the one he knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, what has he thought so far? Um, he, 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 I think he's enjoying it, but it's, I, I think he's kind of finding it, you know, cheesy, you know, but it's, it's, it's with that understanding. I mean, this is 70s television, 70s network TV. Of course it's cheesy. Yeah. All right. Well, it'll be interesting if, if it remember if it, this one lives up to his memories. Um, <laughs> ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, what a joy. Yes. And listeners, I do hope you will join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle, at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. The next episode of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, God help us. It's it's the Lost Warrior. And I I think I can safely say that, um, because I think we mentioned it in the last one, that there was a, a scramble when the first movie went out, when they shifted gears from the miniseries to the, to a hour long TV series. There was a scramble to produce several, uh, episodes. There are some TV shows, Grey 
Ave's anatomy, Killing Eve, Fear the Walking Dead, Madam Secretary. Shut up, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> well, you heard it here live, folks.